Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church on this first Sunday of Advent. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. Oh, come, oh, come,
As we begin the season of Advent, we gather to give thanks for God's gracious gift. God in flesh comes as, as the image of the invisible Father. For centuries, Israel waits for the promised king. As the years turn into decades and the decades into centuries, expectations wane, hope barely flickers. On this first Sunday of Advent, we light this, this candle, declaring with God's people through ages that despite the waiting, our hope, our trust is in God who has sent his Son. Dear God, on this first Sunday of Advent, let the light shine brightly as the days grow shorter so that we will be ready for your face to shine upon us at Christmas. In the Savior's name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we continue in worship. I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down.
without hope with no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when 
death was arrested and my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remained. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes Chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free 
Father, we come again today to give you thanks for the gift of Jesus. As we enter into this season of Advent, we are reminded of, of your gift and of the grace that you have for us. We pray that our worship today will truly reflect the gratitude in our hearts and the praise and worship we desire to give you. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. We invite you to share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. My name is Kristen Sanisith, and um, I know most of you. But um, this summer I took on a role as the Director of Women's Ministries for the Western New York District at the Wesleyan Churches that we represent. And um, together, us girls are all Wesleyan women. And I wanted to let you know of an event that's going on at Houghton College on April 22nd that they would like to mold us girls into. It's already a women's event. It's called, um, it's called of course I wrote it down because I'm nervous, um, Women of Worship. And it's an all-day event. It starts in the morning. It has breakout sessions. It has um, lunch included. And then they have a dinner just for us girls, for the Wesleyan women, that um, Skip Lord and Marshall Green has arranged for us. And um, the concert at night is Laura's story, and the keynote speaker is from Proverbs 31 Ministries. And I just wanted to encourage each of you um, to consider coming. It's April 22nd, so it's a far, far way away. But um, the package that's specifically for us, the deadline is until December 7th. 7th. And there are posters around the church. Um, it might say December 6th, but it's actually December 7th is the deadline. And... Um, it's $95, and the specific part that's for just us is the dinner. We're going to have a dinner catered um, in the Nielsen Center, so that should be super fun. And we get gold seating, which means stage, and then us. <laughs> and if you'd like to come and your mom isn't Wesleyan, we're not checking IDs at the door. Um, one of the girls that I'm bringing does not go to Wesleyan Church, so if you would like to... Um, bring a friend. We would love to have you. And it's just a, a special time, the dinner specifically, of not sitting and listening anymore. It's um, fellowship time, and it's yakking time, and it's eating time. So we would love to have you. If you have any questions, just ask me. Um, ask Cindy Odin. Um, we can figure it out for you. We'd love to see you there. Thanks, girls and guys. Uh, just a couple of things that we have for you today. Uh, last Sunday night at the conclusion of our prayer vigil, uh, we handed out bookmarks that have uh, just a reminder of the Pilgrim's Progress idea of being released from burdens and freedom. Uh, and also on the back is a prayer that we have we found that uh, I think summarizes really well what we've been trying to talk about in terms of freedom this year. There's a number of those on the back table. Feel free to take one or more if you want. 
and uh, stick it in a book you're reading, in your Bible, keep it near you, and uh, remind you of uh, this fall, the prayer event, as well as the things we've talked about on Sunday morning. Also, this is the beginning of Advent today, and so we have uh, Advent booklets for you for weekly devotionals that you can do on your own with uh, others, your family. Uh, there's also a, an insert in them for uh, just sort of taking this and uh, condensing it down for small children. And so if you would like to use those, we'd welcome that. They're all together in the back. So take, feel free to take one or more of these. If you know of others who aren't here, might want to uh, utilize them for each of the Sundays in Advent as well as uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And also next Sunday, we are collecting our jars for the Refugee Project, Matthew 820 Initiative. And we will be handing out one more booklet uh, as well. So I just want to remind you of that. And next Sunday morning will be the collection of those jars. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us. of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea and I am safe on this solid ground the Lord is my salvation I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. I'll see the dawn of the rising sun. The Lord is my salvation. Who My hope is hidden in the Lord. He flowers each promise of His word. When winter fades, I know spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. In times of waiting. And 
when I reach the final day, He will not leave me in the grave, but I will rise, He will call me home, the Lord is my As we continue in a time of prayer, if you'd like to come use the altar rails, a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Heavenly Father, as we begin another Advent season, we pray that you will prepare us once again for the coming of Christ. Make us teachable. Make us more open to the changes that you know we need. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us the eyes of Jesus to see ourselves and the world the way you do. In this world of chaos and violence, war and conflict, pain, we pray that the Prince of Peace will fill our hearts with a desire for peace. In our world of 
of strangers and refugees and displaced people. Give us wise compassion to minister in the name of the one who had no place to lay his head and who continually reached out to all people. Father, this morning we think of of this world and your people around the world. We pray for Chris and Melissa George, who who are, are leading this church in Perth, Australia. And as they embark on this ministry of carols in the park, we pray that, that people will hear and see you as they think about Christmas. And that it will open doors to share the gospel with people who need to hear. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters in, um, in Mexico who carry on an active worship and witness in spite of harassment. We pray, Father, that you will help the believers to be strong in you and to reach out even to those who persecute them through the grace of Christ. Lord, we pray for our nation. We think of those around, the, around our nation and even beyond who, who suffer and who are fearful and struggling. We pray, Father, for unity and healing in our nation. We pray for our own area, and we think of churches around us. We pray today for the Crosstown Alliance Church in Wellsville and Pastor Gorham. Pour out your grace upon this gathering of believers, that they would know your strength and your peace and your mercy upon them. And Father, we pray for the needs here among us. We pray for the family of Blanche Weaver, grieving her death this week. We ask that your mercy and your grace would be upon them, that they would know your peace and your comfort. We pray, Father, for all who are grieving during this holiday time especially, and ask that you would be close to them. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns, for Ben King, David Hartley, Mildred Berry, Doris Asepian, for Tammy Dunmire, Isla Shea, and Sheldon Emerson, for Bob Jobert, Laurel Buecher, for Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, for Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our minds and our hearts today. Father, bring your healing grace upon each one. Father, as we think about all the various dynamics of our lives, we pray for your grace at work in every place, in every relationship, in every situation. As we have just come through this Thanksgiving holiday, Father, fill us with hearts of gratitude for all of your blessings, for your presence with us every moment, for your grace at work in every situation. Father, we pray that you will bring your grace to bear on our lives and that we will be open to you every moment. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who came as an infant, and the one who will appear again in all of your glory, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's scripture is from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Please stand as we sing together. And while we sing, children may be dismissed for Children's Church. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory showed in. The light of the world is Jesus. No darkness for those who in Jesus abide. The light of the world is Jesus. We walk in the light when we follow our guide. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to
I suspect that when we think about those last days, that what it will look like when, when Christ comes, reappears, and, and brings, ushers in the kingdom in all of its fullness, I suspect that there are all kinds of images that we have in, my mind of what that, in our minds of what that's going to look like. And we have, uh, we have ideas, we have visions, we have thoughts, we have... Uh, we have all kinds of, of things in our minds of what that will be. And one of the things that intrigues me as we read through the scriptures is that it gives us glimpses into what that will be. And Isaiah 2 is one of those places where we get a glimpse of that. Isaiah says that in that day, this is what it's going to look like. In that day, this is what God is going to do, and this is, what, this is what God is going to bring about for his kingdom. So often, we think of, of that day as, as a time when, when we will escape the earth. But the reality is, when we look through the scriptures, what we find is that in that day, God is going to restore and recreate the earth. He is going to bring about healing and grace and restoration and reconciliation on the earth. And it will be a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be the most glorious thing any of us can imagine. And Isaiah tells us that on that day, the primary thing that will take place is that the mountain of the Lord will be revealed. 
It will be the apex. It will be the focal point. The mountain of the Lord will be the, the, the one place, the idea that every, to which everyone's attention will be drawn. He says it will rise above everything else. I think the point that he's making is not that until that time, the mountain of the Lord is small and insignificant. And then on that day, all of a sudden, it becomes great. I think what he's telling us is that it has always been great. It is always the apex of everything. It's just that until that day, we have a hard time seeing it. But on that day, all the clutter will be cleared away. And we will see it for what it is. The glory of the Lord. Now when you look back through Scripture, you find that that God chooses places where heaven and earth intersects and overlaps. In the Old Testament, God tells the Israelites to build the tabernacle. And when it is done... Exodus 40 tells us that God comes and fills that place with his glory and it is so magnificent that people can hardly look on it. Because it's the place now on earth where heaven and earth have have a bit of overlap. Where God has come to earth. As he moves along, he does the same thing in the temple. And the temple becomes the dwelling place of God, the holy of holies. Where, where God or heaven and earth overlap, and it is glorious. And then we come to John's gospel, and he tells us that when Jesus comes, now God has come in flesh. And Jesus is the embodiment of God. Jesus is the, the word in flesh, the fullness of God. And now in Jesus, heaven and earth have overlapped. And the most amazing thing of all is that when we come to the New Testament writings of Paul, he says that the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as the temple of the Holy Spirit, the the Spirit of God dwells in us and we actually become the place where heaven and earth overlaps because God is present with us. And we become a witness to the glory of God. Now we will not experience the glory of God until that day in terms of the fullness of who God is and understanding who God is. But Isaiah tells us on that day the mountain of the Lord will be seen, revealed for what it is and God in all of his glory will be revealed. And what happens in that moment? In that moment, all the nations will stream to it. I have this image in my mind of, of seeing this huge mountain and it just being swarmed by people. They can't get to it fast enough. There is this attraction, there is this drawing to that mountain that people find something they cannot stay away from. And it is this amazing mass movement of people to it. Because it is so amazing and so glorious, they can't stay away from it. This is really, in many ways, uh, the embodiment of what God promises Abraham in Genesis 12 when he says, Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the nations will come. And sometimes, 
we think, I think in the back of our mind, sometimes we think that, that God cares about all people, but he really cares most about his people. The truth of the matter is, God's design for all of creation is that everyone would come to him. Now, they may not choose to, but that's God's plan, that all the peoples of the world would come to him, that they would all be drawn to him. That is God's design for his creation. And everyone doesn't necessarily choose to do that. People have choices, but that is God's design and plan, that the nations would come to him. And Isaiah says that when they come, they will learn who God is, They will understand once and for all who this God is that they're coming to worship in all of his glory. His compassion, his mercy, his grace, his goodness. They will learn of him and they will walk in his path. They will follow him. And all the problems of the nations of the earth, all the problems that divide, all the wars and conflict and chaos, he says... God will mediate between nations and there will be peace. In fact, there will be so much peace. Peace will be the word of the day. Peace will be how people live that folks will put down their weapons and they will actually decide we're not just putting them down for a little while. We will never need them again. And we're going to take these weapons that we have used to inflict pain and hurt and divisiveness and conflict and war. And we're going to turn them into tools of creation. Tools of of productivity. Tools of flourishing. It's an amazing image to think that all of the ways in which We create conflict and war and pain. Those very things will now be turned into tools to make the world flourish and to cause things to grow, to plant, to harvest. And he ends this by saying, not only will that be the case, but we won't even even strategize about war anymore. We won't think to ourselves, okay, we're going to have to protect ourselves. We've got to think of the next strategy. Okay, we'll put the weapons down and maybe we'll turn them into something good. But in the back of our minds, we're always thinking about the next conflict we may need to fight. No more. We won't think about war. We won't even strategize about war. It will be done. But as I read this passage and it talks about the nations, I can't help but think that Isaiah isn't limiting this idea of reconciliation between nations just to international conflicts. I I think he's saying all conflict is going to end. All the ways in which we hurt one another, all the ways in which we war with one another, all the ways in which in our relationships with each other, We cause pain and heartache and divisiveness and fear and distrust. All of those things will disappear. 
and there will be reconciliation. And God's going to do all of that. There's not a human element to this whole process. The people will be drawn to the mountain of God. And God will bring peace. And God will bring reconciliation. And God will bring restoration. And God will create this atmosphere in which all people will live in unity and peace with one another. And the sense is we sit back and we just wait for God to do what he's going to do until you come to verse 5. Now, most of the Bibles I looked at in the section of verse 4, and that seems like a mistake to me. Because it feels to me like verse 5 is the conclusion to verses 1 to 4. And he says, remember, this is a prophecy to Judah and Jerusalem. This is a prophecy to the people, to God's people. And he says to them, now, I'm going to do all of these things. So here's what I want you to do today. Walk in the light of the Lord. And I think by that he means live your lives in such a way that you reflect what's going to come on that day by how you live now in this day. If that is going to be what the kingdom is going to look like when Jesus ushers it all in and restores everything to God's intended ultimate will and purpose, then the call on us is not to think, how can I escape this earth and all of its pain and conflict and trouble? The call on us is to be agents of bringing about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, as we just prayed a few moments ago. We have been given the privilege of being agents, of bringing about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. About helping people to get a glimpse, however small the glimpse may be, to get a glimpse of what God, what God has in mind. And to help people understand that we can actually begin to experience some of that now. It's a huge calling, and yet it's a great privilege. And when we come to celebrate Advent, what we're really doing is trying to prepare our hearts. We talk about preparing our hearts for the coming of Christ, and we want to do that as we move toward December 25th in our calendar. And we, we come to that day, and we, we remember the coming of Christ that first time. But Advent is also about preparing our hearts for the coming of Christ the second time. It's about living in such a way that we are so focused on the Christ who has come the first time. And so focused on what God has promised to do when he reappears. That we live in this sense of openness to God every day. The kind of mindset and spirit that says, I would love to see glimpses of the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to be a channel for people to see that and experience that. It's a tricky thing to talk about living this kind of existence that, we, that we, Isaiah talks about then. Living that kind of life now. 
Because quite frankly, if we're going to live then the kind of life where we put down our weapons and, and we, we decide that our goal, our, our, our yearning is to, to not create conflict but to create peace. Not to create divisiveness but reconciliation. I think most of us would say that image of that day is awesome and we can't wait for that and we want that and we yearn for that. But it's a whole different thing to say, I'm going to live in such a way now that it reflects the kingdom then. Because the honest truth is, we can play by the rules that we see God designed for that day. And we can put down our weapons, but the hard part is, lots of people aren't playing by those rules. And we decide that we're going to, we're going to live our lives to to reveal the kind of nature of the kingdom of God in a world that doesn't live that same way. Because we live in a world of conflict and war and pain and heartache. We live in a world in which people are continually fighting and putting up walls and trying to go on the offensive and manipulating people and using people. All the things that are contrary to the kingdom. And the minute we decide that we're going to, through the grace of God, to try to live our lives different from that, we put ourselves in a very vulnerable position. Because we know what we can do to each other. My niece is traveling in, um, in uh, part of Europe right now over the Thanksgiving holiday, she and some friends, and I've been... She'd been posting some things on Facebook, and earlier this week, she posted uh, things. She was in Copenhagen, and she went to a place. I'd never heard of it before, but it intrigued me, and so I wrote her a little bit about it. It's called the Museum of Broken Relationships. I found that fascinating. You have a museum of broken relationships. It actually started as just sort of a traveling kind of exhibition that now has settled in a few places. There are a number of different places throughout the world. But she said that, that she went in and, and, and people would write or describe the, the relationships they had that broke apart. And there were all kinds of relationships. Some of them were romantic. Some of them were, were related to families. Some were things related to people's work. But all kinds of ways in which relationships break up. And every person who, had, who had, were part of the exhibit had left something that identified the brokenness of their relationship. And she said it was so fascinating how most of the things were just everyday stuff. There was a a card or a bicycle or even a, a, a treadmill. Just everyday things that reminded people of the pain of their broken relationship. But it struck me as so fascinating that it is so much a part of our culture that we can actually create a museum, multiple museums, that describe the pain of our broken relationships. And the calling of the church is to be people who, who do, through the grace of God, we do the kind of work that doesn't continue broken relationships, but reconciles people. And that's a risk. It's, it takes, it's, it's vulnerable to be in a place where we say, I'm going to put down my weapons in order to try to bring about reconciliation. Because there are always people who aren't going to put down their weapons. 
it sort of reminds me of those old westerns where you've got two uh, gunslingers pointing their guns at each other and neither one wants to shoot because, you know, it's, they're sort of at a stalemate. And then what, finally they say, all right, I'll put down my weapon if you put down yours. And the guy says, okay, I'll put down mine if you put down yours. But nobody wants to put down their weapon because they're afraid the other one is not going to do what they said they were going to do. But at some point, somebody has to say, I'll take the first step. And the calling and the privilege and the radical nature of the gospel is that you and I, God's people, are the ones who take the first step. Who put down our weapons of war and hurt and pain and conflict in an effort to be agents of reconciliation and peace. It's a vulnerable place to be in. You can get hurt doing that. Actually, you can end up on a cross doing that. And most of us, during this Christmas season, we love the story of Christ coming to earth. And, and it many times is a very sentimental kind of feeling for us. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's important to remember that when God decides to enter this world... To send the one who is the, the agent of reconciliation. The one who will redeem the world and change the world. The one who sets all of this into motion that we, Isaiah describes. He comes not in power, but in total vulnerability. There is nothing more vulnerable than a newborn. Nothing. I mean, a newborn can't do anything for themselves. They can't protect themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't do anything for themselves. The most vulnerable beings on this earth. And that's how God comes. This is how God chooses to, to come into this world, to initiate this whole plan of of reconciliation among nations and among peoples. This is how God does it. It's a huge risk. Vulnerability is a huge risk. But it is the call of God on our lives by the one who takes all the greatest risks. I mean, there is no, there's no greater risk taker than God. From the beginning of creation, throughout all of the time with human beings, God is continually taking risks. And human beings are continually taking advantage of God. And he keeps risking, he keeps loving, he keeps coming and giving. Because this is who God is. This is the kingdom. And this is the calling on God's people. I was thinking about this image of the mountain. And uh, mountains are, are inspiring. I, I don't know if you've ever had the chance to see 
a huge mountain. I grew up in southern Indiana. So, you know, we have this little rise over a hill and we talk about a mountain. That's not southern Indiana, by the way. Uh, this is Mount Hood in Oregon. And I, I will never forget, let's see, uh, it would have been uh, 39 years ago this summer was the first time I saw Mount Hood driving down Interstate 86 in the Columbia River Gorge, and you come around a turn, and this is what you see. It's even bigger in, in, your, in the windshield of a vehicle. And I almost had to pull off the side of the road because I was just so stunned by the massive nature of this mountain. Just all of a sudden, out of nowhere. I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. And every time I made that drive, Dozens of times. Same thing. Awe-inspiring. And there's something about that image that we see here in Isaiah's prophecy. And you and I can never be that kind of mountain, but we can direct people to the mountain. We can show people that mountain. And we can help people climb that mountain. One thing about mountains is that they're, they're meant to climb. You know, people climb them. But here's the thing about climbing mountains. It's risky to climb mountains. People get hurt. People die climbing mountains. It's danger involved. I'm not a mountain climber. I don't like heights. I don't like the fourth rung of a ladder very much. I don't like standing in the balcony, to be honest with you, on the edge of that. But there, And there are some times when I have gotten a burst of courage and I've climbed up someplace high only to realize that I don't have enough courage to get back down. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that kind of a position. But I found myself in that position on a variety of occasions. And the only way I got down was because somebody helped me. I'd still be in some of those places if there weren't for some other people helping me. Telling me, you can do it. Taking my hand. Walking with me. And that's so vital to this understanding of revealing the nature of the kingdom. We don't do it by ourselves. This is the church. This is us together. And we encourage each other and we help each other. And sometimes we, sometimes we need to say some, some words to each other to get each other back on track. But we're there for each other because we cannot reveal the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven by ourselves. It's a corporate thing we do. It's the church. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is the vision of God. The church has this privilege, this joy, this responsibility to be God's presence to a world that desperately needs it. And ultimately it comes back to us living in a spirit of openness to God. I really think that's what walking in the light is. We often think walking in the light is morality or walking in the light is believing the right things. Walking in the light is is doing the right things. I think it just boils down to, as important as those things are, I think it eventually just boils down to living a life of openness to God. When you read the Gospels, you see people in the Gospels who, who don't know much of anything about the law but they love Jesus. And then you see people who know everything about the law. 
They follow every rule. And they miss Jesus. Because they aren't open to him. And that's walking in the light. It's wanting Jesus. It's wanting what Jesus wants. And the, the season of Advent is a time for us to stop and to think and to, to search our hearts and to prepare for the coming of Christ once again. And one of the primary questions we ask ourselves is, do I live in a spirit of openness to Christ? Am I making time to be open to Christ? The spiritual disciplines are so important. Prayer and the reading and studying the scriptures and worship interaction with each other, all of these things that God has given us to help us live in openness to Christ. Are we living that kind of openness that we want what God wants, that nothing would thrill us more than to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and to be agents of that happening, however God may choose to use us. We live in that spirit of openness to him. I think ultimately, we live that way now because we've caught a glimpse of what the kingdom will be about then. And we could want nothing more than to see more and more of the kingdom of heaven come to earth. And to be a part of that happening. So as you think about this Advent season. Maybe the, the first place to start. Is to think about any adversarial relationships. You might be living with. Maybe it's your feelings about toward another person. A broken relationship. Maybe it's your feelings toward a particular group of people. In our world right now. Maybe it's, maybe it's your feelings toward a particular nation of people. But you know when you're honest. There's not love and compassion and grace. And you realize that that's what God wants to do in your heart. What a wonderful time to prepare for Christmas. To begin now asking God to change us work in us, to make us agents of bringing about the glorious kingdom of heaven on earth through the grace of Christ. Father, we pray that you will help us to, to see, to hear, to feel, to understand Lord, give us the grace to be agents of reconciliation in our world that is so often full of chaos, pain, conflict, hurt. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.